You're Carrie Champion. You're not just some girl on the side, some lady on the side, some chick we used to know. You are a representative of, first of all, athletic excellence. Uh, secondly, uh, of genius, because you know that Kobe is the greatest. Uh, and you love the Lakers. <laughs> ESPNW presents Be Honest with Carrie Champion. Using your platform, whatever it may be, in a powerful way. And by platform, it could be a blog, it could be your social media, it could be you writing a letter to someone if you're in school and having the letter published in the school paper. I, I'm just I'm just talking about the power of a platform. I've been thinking about it so much lately because within the last year I've watched I mean in my lifetime, something that I can witness, something that I have been able to partake in. I've watched certain athletes use their platform in a way that is so powerful it literally gives me chills what Colin Kaepernick did is not new there were many others who did it before him who paved the way Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown Muhammad Ali to name a few there are always a few who stand at the front lines for the rest of us meaning if you are brave enough to be a part of the few, brave enough to say, I don't care about the repercussions. I don't care about the backlash. I really don't care about your opinion. See, and now that's key, telling someone you don't care about their opinion because what I stand for is right. In my spirit, in my gut, in my mind, I know everything that I am doing is right for me. Again, this is all subjective for for Colin, for other athletes, for for different people who stand for what they believe in. On Coast to Coast this week, I had Ravens tight end Benjamin Watson on the show. And he talked about using his platform and the books that he's written and why he's so vocal. But he is using his platform in a different way. He said the same reasons that Colin Kaepernick chooses to kneel, I choose to stand. Well, well, race is something that we all have to deal with and we all have to confront. And we've all confronting it in different ways. And obviously, uh, Colin decided to take a knee for some of the same reasons why I choose to stand. I, I wasn't able to play this year and I was out with an Achilles, but I supported him 100% in his decision to exercise his rights as an American and to protest in that way. Um, obviously, it brought awareness. It also brought some ire from a lot of people. But the overarching theme and the, the reason for him taking a knee is what we need to address. Uh, we're in a time where... Uh, we think it's post-racial, uh, but we all know that in many ways it's not. And so I applaud him for raising awareness. I also applaud his steps moving forward. Um, I think there are different ways to to protest um, and there are different ways to advocate for different things. But We can all serve a purpose, but we don't have to go about it the same way. And that, to me, was just powerful. So I decided for this podcast I'd bring in someone who could speak on the nuances of being an athlete in today's time. And how we are seeing a culture shift, a mind shift, a shift in political consciousness. When before, I would think, narrow-mindedly, but I would think most professional athletes only cared about themselves, their brand, their dollars, what they made, how they were perceived, the score, the stats. Yeah, all that matters. But there is such a huge responsibility that I am watching these professional athletes take on because they care, because they know that their voice has power, because they know that it's the right thing to do. And I'm just, I'm proud to be a part of the rebirth. By that I mean, 
I'm proud to witness it, to report on it, to talk about it, because this is going in the history books. Whether you like it or not, it is going in the history books. The political climate of our country has changed. And the more that it changes, the more that it forces others to change as well. Whether that be standing up for what you believe in, uh, making uh, hard decisions, saying things that others don't like. But people are making choices because this is the nature of the world that we live in today. So on today's podcast, professor, man of many words, poet, Michael Eric Dyson will join the show. Sit back, relax, pay close attention, turn up the volume. It is time for an education. Thanks for joining this edition of The Honest. Joining me now is the professor of all things, but I'm, I'm going to specifically say the professor of of important things for me. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson is on the podcast for the very first time. It's a big deal. He's been on the show before. Um, but I wanted to bring you on today because I'm noticing something, and it's not that I haven't noticed it for some time now, but the political shift, um, the landscape in our in our country today has has seemed to propel so many different athletes with their platform in terms of making sure that they do something or they are aware of their social responsibility and are unafraid and unapologetic to speak up about what they believe in. And I wanted to talk to you about, have you noticed it and what it ultimately means? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I was just busy calling my mama to tell her I really made it now because I'm on Carrie Champion's podcast. <laughs> so forgive me for that. <clears throat> forgive me for that uh, distraction. Uh, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think Colin Kaepernick was a, to mix metaphors, a bellwether and a benchmark for the opening of the athletic mind. And to say to athletes, especially athletes with some prominence, some power, some platform, that you can't just be out there uh, you know, shooting a jump shot or running a ball through, uh, you know, the goal, uh, kicking a ball through the goalposts or just doing what you're doing. It, it, there's a bigger world out there. There are politics out there. There's society out there. And most important, there are people that you're concerned about and care about out there. And I think what people mostly miss in this is that many people's conversions to politics happens to be about something that they are concerned about. So if they see some people in the street like Colin Kaepernick, these are my people. They're being shot down uh, for no good reason by police people, and I'm concerned about that, and in fact, I'm upset about that. So something that impacts your personal existence, not necessarily you as an individual in your own home, but your people, your group, your society, your neighborhood, where you hung out, your school, that begins to force people to say, you know what, I didn't just get up here uh, to make a bunch of money. I didn't get up here just to make my name. I'm here to use my platform like Joe Lewis did, like Jackie Robinson did, like Frank Robinson did, like Hank Aaron, like, you know, um, you know, so many other athletes who have, who have come before me. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali. When you think about, you know, Althea Gibson, Wilma Rudolph, when you think about all those sports figures, they said... We are here because of our excellence, but our excellence can become a platform to articulate our concerns about issues that the society is not taking uh, awareness of. Think about it. Martellus Bennett wins the Super Bowl with the Patriots. Now, the Patriots are probably seen uh, as a successor to the Cowboys as America's team. And because of the greatest you know, quarterback of all time, Tom and the exploits of Bill Belichick. But Martellus Bennett has the savviness, the courage, 
and the awareness to say immediately, I am not going to the White House. And he doesn't just say, I have a, a scheduling conflict. We know Mr. Brady had a scheduling conflict uh, <laughs> when it came to Obama, and then he had another scheduling conflict, uh, and I'm sure more personal, uh, with his mother's condition when he came to visiting the White House with Mr. Trump. But Mr. Bennett said, I'm not going because what this man stands for is antithetical to every good and righteous thing in this country, and he is intolerant of others, and I am not going to co-sign that with my presence. And then you think about his brother, Michael Bennett, who has been outspoken on a number of issues, and then quite frankly, and saw him on your show, and he did a brilliant job, and he says, look, and you ask him directly, is Colin Kaepernick being blackballed because of the stance he's taking? And he said yes. So Michael Bennett said, I'm not going to guard my hind parts and say, to pretend I don't know what's going on. I'm going to even more forcefully express what I've got to express. And when you think about LeBron James, um, first, when they, this predated Kaepernick, when they tweeted out the photo of the Miami Heat in the hoodies to show empathy for Trayvon Martin, who had been shot down by George Zimmerman. But after Kaepernick, you think about how LeBron and, and uh, Carmelo and CP3 and D-Wade got up at the ESPYs and made a statement about dealing with issues of, uh, you know, uh, black people in America, about race, about uh, the relationships between law enforcement and black and brown communities. So, yeah, I think that it's a, it's a propitious time, it's a good time for athletes to speak up and step out, and I think Kaepernick kind of gave them that permission, even though, on the one hand, you know, it looks like anytime you speak out and you speak, uh, speak up that your job may be at stake, uh, the reality is many of these athletes don't mind taking that risk, and many of them are secure in their job positions and then further extend their platform by saying, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind, and I have to share this with you, and, and the results be damned. Let's talk about the, the security issue. I remember um, Doug Baldwin. He said, Colin Kaepernick took the bullet for us. He made it easy for us to say what we've probably always felt, and as you just said, permission, and, and we'll use that in sure. air quotes, permission. Security is an interesting thing. What was your take on him deciding uh, to release a statement or – you know, he never spoke on it himself, but leaked to the media that he will stand during the national anthem? You know, look, I understand his own argument because, let's be real, when Harry Belafonte talks about, the great entertainer, talks about Paul Robeson, his mentor, another great entertainer uh, of an earlier generation who paid the price so that all black entertainers could, spoke eight languages, uh, was an all-American at Rutgers, uh, was a great uh, entertainer, uh, movie star, and singer. And Robeson told Harry Belafonte in his youth, if you can get them to listen to your song, then you can communicate your message. Then you can do what you want to do. Well, that's important, if you can get them to listen to your song. In other words, you've got to be successful in a particular pursuit, in an arena where you are uh, objectively being uh, appraised as an excellent practitioner of your craft, and then they can't say nothing. Ali kept winning. What are they going to say? Jim Brown kept, you know, uh, winning the rushing title and won a championship. What are they going to say? Um, Muhammad Ali, you know, kept winning and kept besting other people. What are they going to say? Jabbar, and on and on and on. So, in other words, being a champion, Joe Lewis, Henry, uh, Henry Aaron, those kind of people had athletic excellence to back them up. The differential with Mr. Kaepernick has been, that he was on a struggling team and he was struggling himself. And then when he got put in as the starting quarterback, um, had quite mixed results. 
it's not that he's not an extraordinarily talented young man. He is. Uh, and it's not that he doesn't still have a strong arm, and he does. And he deserves to be on the team uh, as a starter or at the very least as an excellent backup. So the reality is, arguably being blackballed, comes uh, at a time when he's not the number one starter, when, when people can't deny him, when he doesn't have stats and the possibility of starting in a way that uh, his team is, is competing every year uh, for the playoffs and then the Super Bowl. Because of that, it's compromised in part what he's able to say and do and to be taken seriously. So his argument that he is now going to stand for the national anthem is a signal to other teams, this will not be a distraction. I will not in any way uh, make your team uh, the object of derision by other people. Now, he shouldn't have to do that, but he has to do that because of his, the perception of him as a marginal and questionable player, even though we all know he's got the skills. So his signaling to them is not a sellout. Some people think, oh, well, how can you, uh, you know, go out there and say you're, you're going to, uh, you know, take a knee, and then all of a sudden you're going to stand? Because Colin Kaepernick is not the movement. Colin Kaepernick cannot do it by himself. And if he's inspired other people, that's the extension of the movement. This is not Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, giving a speech. And even King was not by himself. You had Roy Wilkins. You had uh, Whitney Young, you had Septima Clark, you had Ella Baker, you had Joanne Robinson, you had a contingent of people, Diane Nash, who were heroic and involved in the movement. So Colin Kaepernick is not selling out. He's recognizing that in order to be effective, A, he has to have a job. Because when you have a job and you are prominent, it extends the parameters of your message. Remember, when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, and people ask him, say, hey, why don't you talk about race? Why don't you speak out about these political issues? Jordan goes, well, when I retire, I will. Well, guess what? Mm. Even though Jordan is still hugely popular. But you're not as popular as you are when you have a platform as an athlete who's active. So even though in retirement he has the platform, he, didn't have, he doesn't have the platform now that he had when he was playing. So people want to hear you. Obama. Obama will speak. He's not the president anymore. He still has a platform. People are still going to listen to him. He's widely beloved. But it's not the president of the United States of America. Colin Kaepernick has to be a player, active. Now, people might say, well, okay, let's say a team gives him a job. If he still doesn't take a knee, does that lessen his effectiveness? No, because others will take up the, the microphone and amplify uh, what he was concerned about. He's already giving some of his, what, uh, use suits to parolees so they can make a difference. There are many more ways to make a difference than that one symbolic gesture. That mm. gesture opened the floodgate. Now there are other things to be done. Remember when, when God came to Moses in the uh, Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, and Moses would say, what am I, I going to do? What am I going to do? He'd say, what's that in your hand? You've got a stick. Use what you got. So Colin Kaepernick has to use what he's got. And in this case, it's his job. And if he doesn't have a job, he's not going to be heard. You bring up Michael Jordan, which leads me to my next transitional question about the, the black athlete and using their, their their platform. And the only reason why I'm focusing on athletes, one, obviously, is a sports podcast. But two, so for so long in our community, that was our hero. If you learn how to bounce a ball or throw it, you were, would be a success. It was your way of making it out of the hood. I want you to talk That's to right. me about the transition of the Jordan era athlete 
and now we see the Colin Kaepernick athlete because here, if I'm, you know, and you're the historian here, so I can even go as far back. You you mentioned Jackie Robinson, but I'm saying just during the civil rights movement, we have Ali, we have Kareem and Jim. But then talk to me about there was a quiet period where we had the O.J. Simpsons, right? Who that's fine, a show movement in the '70s. I'm a chill. I'm not trying to do that. And then in the right. '80s, we may have a few here and there, but Jordan was very specific about not speaking out. No judgment. Yeah. Don't, don't know what he was going through. But talk to right, me about right. the transition and how we we see the athlete evolve, be quiet, evolve, hopefully not be quiet, almost cyclical. Well, you know what's interesting is that at every moment in history, there have been active and vocal athletes, and then there have been quiet ones. The majority, let's be honest, the majority are quiet in any era. Right now, if we're naming their names, they're exceptions. We, you know, if we're, if we're naming names, if we're talking about, you know, um, Kareem, because there were a lot more centers when Kareem was playing. If we're talking, you know, there are a lot more people who were playing the game when Kareem was playing. A lot more ball players besides Jim Brown uh, who were playing, even though there were smaller numbers. Um, Hank Aaron was out there. A lot more players, but not as necessarily vocal players as he was. So the reality is this, is that at every moment there are a small remnant of people who will speak up who will be redemptive, who will take the heat for the rest of us being society or the rest of players. So when you think about the fact that right now, during Jordan's era, Jordan had a teammate named Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges was, you know, demonized by some. He had a hell of a three shot, you know, a three, uh, a three ball. He could, he could hit that all day long. He was a sharpshooter, but he was politically active. He was down with, you know, minority black people. Uh, maybe a minority religious tradition. So Craig Hodges, to some, was blackballed at the same time as Jordan was being celebrated because the contrast was he was the angry, brooding Negro where Jordan was uh, the face of a league and refused to speak politically. Remember when, uh, even though he says he didn't say this quote, remember when Harvey Gantt, um, a former mayor of Charlotte, um, a great architect, was running against Jesse Helms, who was a bigoted, well-known, racist white senator in, in North Carolina. And Jordan had huge political capital in North Carolina. Uh, they asked him to endorse uh, Mr. Gantt. And Jordan is alleged to have said, well, I won't because Republicans buy gym shoes, too. He said he didn't say that. But look, look at this. What we know he didn't do is endorse Harvey Gantt. How easy would that have been? against a, an, an evident and manifest white supremacist as a senator. You would have had to get out of jail a free card. Nobody would have taken Jordan to task for supporting Harvey Gantt over such a bigoted, vile person as the late uh, Senator Jim But Michael, Helms. was it his responsibility? I'm of the belief that if you are not political savvy and if you are not interested and if you have nothing to say, then don't talk. Well, look, I'm I'm for if you ain't got if you don't know what you're talking about, shut up. <laughs> I'm definitely for that. But let me tell you what: to whom much is given, much is required. Which it wasn't true, but it is. True. You're Carrie Champion. True. You're not just some girl on the side, some lady on the side, some chick we used to know. You are a representative of, first of all, athletic excellence. Uh, secondly, 
uh, of genius because you know that Kobe is the greatest uh, and you love the Lakers. And then, and, <laughs> and then you are representative of an entire genre uh, of, you know, pioneering women who have shattered glass, uh, 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 you know, glass ceilings. Are you're you right. Yeah, yeah, you're responsible. You ain't yeah. got no, it ain't a choice you made. Your position mandates it. Yes, Jordan is responsible. Yeah. Yes, these athletes are responsible. But I'm going to tell you what they're responsible for as well. Learning, thinking, understanding issues. Now, I'm with you. If you don't know what you're talking about, keep your mouth shut. It doesn't mean, however, that your blessing should not be shared. So find a way to share that. And mm-hmm. everybody can't stand up in the microphone mm-hmm. and speak out loud about these issues. I, I, I agree with you. On that, but I'm saying you can't have the blessings and avoid the burden. You okay, do both. Both you can't hands. have the blessings and avoid the burden. Your position mandates it. Ooh, that's that's a word for yourself now. Okay, so mm-hmm. I say that only because I'm I'm being a journalist and I'm looking at the other side of things. You're absolutely correct. To whom much is given, much is required. I believe if you come from nothing and you make it to something instinctively, um, you would want to do that. Your soul says do something. Your soul says help. You can't you if you don't have that in you. I I question your character, your heart, because that's what you want to do. That's right. But then I see so many athletes who struggle with finding their voice. See, that's a big deal. When I first got on first take. I was I was a journalist who didn't give opinion. I just knew to tee it up and do this, that, and the other. I, that's what that was right. the, the training I received. While I had an opinion, I didn't know that my opinion was valued or important or needed to be known. And as I grew right. and learned that there was a greater responsibility, I did have a voice, and I just needed a platform right. to place it. I think of someone like Cam Newton, who I believe, and I don't know him well enough to say this, but I believe he wants to do more. I believe he he wishes he had that desire that Colin Kaepernick has to say more and do more. I just believe as of now, it's not in his interest that he just doesn't understand that responsibility that he dealt with so much coming out of college. They threw everything at him. And for me, I would think as, as, as bad as they, they, whomever they may be treated you, wouldn't you want to say something? Wouldn't you want to stand up and make sure nobody else gets treated like that? But he doesn't have that voice yet. He hasn't quite found it. When he said he doesn't believe racism exists, I was on his case for that. What country you live in? Right, right. And you should have been on this case. And guess what? You can't look. If this dude is out there uh, complaining last year, as he did, legitimately, that the rules were not protecting him, that he was getting slammed, that his career was put in jeopardy, he spoke up. He said something. Um, A lot of these athletes are discouraged from speaking up and articulating their beliefs for a variety of reasons especially on social conscience. Let's be real. White agents who are the overwhelming representatives of black players are not going to be encouraging them to have social conscience. Let's be real. They're going to say, look, dude, if you want to make this dough, if you want to make this cheddar, if you want to make this cash, if you want this opportunity to sell this brand and this product and build your brand higher, keep quiet. Don't be controversial. I get it because those that kind of money wasn't at stake when Hank Aaron was around, when Jim Brown was around, and Kareem was around at the beginning of his career. Let's be honest. The stakes are higher. As they say in the street, stakes is high. So if the stakes are high, and there's a lot at stake for these players, we get why they might be quietistic. But this is where courage comes in. And then how much money do you need? Um, you have enough money. What is the point of making the money? So that you will be free to say what you have to say. Mm-hmm. I know you want to continue to make money. See, and the rule could be, if you can't help us, then don't hurt us. Right. Let's let, let's have the Hippocratic oath prevail athletically. If you can't help us, then don't say no stupid stuff. 
Don't get on a microphone and start amplifying, well, race doesn't exist in America, or racism is that bad, and I don't think that's what it is. Isn't that interesting? Because the, the year before, you were, you were quite articulate about the fact that, hey, I think as a black athlete and as a black quarterback, they're treating me differently. Remember that Cam Newton? Remember that Cam Newton was footloose and fancy free, literally and figuratively, running for, for light and doing so in his career as well as his life? But I'm sure he was told by some advisors who were not black, uh, and many who are white, I think that that team in particular, since you've named that, you know, Cam Newton, I think that team in particular had Frank, uh, I can't think of his last name now, a Republican uh, advisor who was advising the team. And I think I see the shift uh, between, uh, you know, Cam Newton before he was being advised by this white figure, a conservative white figure, and afterward. So let's not pretend we don't understand that race plays a different role, not only in terms of whether these athletes speak out or not, but in terms of the pressures they receive intimately and in their own circles about how best uh, to go about saying what they have to say. Now, that's a legitimate concern. I'm not saying just, just soil your, your brand, but I'm saying at the end of the day, what are you in these positions of authority for, if not, ultimately, to also bring along those from your neighborhood, those who can't you know, uh, speak for themselves. You become a voice piece. Intelligent, articulate, thoughtful, reflective. I'm not saying be bombastic, but these players are willing to be bombastic after they catch a, a touchdown or after they make one and they can, Cam could pull the Superman thing out or do the dab. What dab? Well, can you do anything relevant to communities that need to be amplified that you can speak on? So, yeah, on the one hand, I understand Cam Newton paid a price. They demonized him in college demonized his father. He had to stand up for him. He came in with a black mark against him and has outperformed every negative expectation. I get that. And as you said, then why not more uh, be empathetic to uh, people uh, who are like you? And then to turn tail and to turn high, so to speak, and turn around and act like ain't no racism in America because you a big black man and you know if you get caught on the wrong day in the wrong neighborhood, you're just going to be another Negro to these people. So you've got to understand that even though you're being treated in an exceptional fashion, that your exceptionalism ends when people don't recognize your name. You know, that's the case. That means it's not it's not ultimately real for everybody. And you ought to be aware of that. uh, Michael, I feel like and I don't know because I'm no psychologist, but I feel like there's a struggle. Everybody deals with it. And I don't think that you ever I don't know if you had to. But when you're in the public eye or when you get a certain amount of notoriety and you start to come into your own and you realize your responsibility, some people embrace it wholeheartedly. And then some people go back and forth with what the platform will be and how comfortable they'll be and what they can and can't say. Um, And there's always a turning point. And I think that Cam's right there. He goes back and forth. I know he often feels like he can do nothing right. No, he says the right thing. We're criticizing this. He does the right thing. We're criticizing this. He does the wrong thing. So I often feel he thinks he can't win. And I, and, and here's another thing. And I'm just bouncing this off of you because I go, I, I have different issues with this. Are we wrong for assuming every famous black athlete should speak up? Because some of them just can't or don't want to. Or like back to that same thing. Is it, I mean, is that an undue pressure the community is putting on them? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, You know, look, it's, um, you know, the reality is this. When I said to whom much is given, much is required, you ain't ain't, ain't complaining about them blessings you're getting. You ain't complaining about that contract. Now, you said that's my hard work. It is. 
but a community made it possible. Sacrifice made it possible. Others speaking up made it possible. So the reality is you've got to be open <clears throat> to the fact that you are representative whether you want to be or not. Look, I'm a, I'm a prominent professor at Georgetown. Do people look at me in a different way than they look at my colleagues? You're darn right they do. Mm. You know, but am I rewarded more, you know, more evidently and more manifestly than that? I sure am. So if I'm not going to complain about the blessings, I can't complain about the burdens and the responsibilities that come with it. Am I under more scrutiny than my colleagues? You better believe it. Do people write articles on me in papers about classes that I teach? They don't even do my colleagues. You're right. Is it unfair? Maybe. Is it real? Yeah. Do I have to complain about it? I don't. And see, this is what the, the, the point you were making is you've got to determine in your own soul, you know, I can't win. What's winning for you? Look, no matter what I do, somebody's going to criticize it. It's too soft. It's not hard enough. It's too hard. It's not soft enough. Um, you're to the left. You're to the right. Uh, you criticize. You don't criticize. That's, you know what? I've made up in my mind what my purpose is. And these young people are getting to a point where they're making up their mind. You're right about that. I'll defend them on that. But just like when you come into the league and for the first year you don't know how to catch a ball, and the second year you get better at it, third year you got it down pat, that's what it, as it is with social conscience and social expression and protest and resistance. You don't get good at it overnight. You constantly repeat it. You engage in the practice. You talk to other people who are better at it than you. You have advisors who can give you insight. Not to subvert and undermine and distort and destroy your career, but at the same time, I don't want to hear any belly aching about how hard it is when you've got to get up and master a playbook that it takes a genius to do as a quarterback in the NFL. So there is tremendous difficulty in what you do as a vocation. And I understand you don't want to be hit outside. I just want to go to the movies and see the movies. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to have to yeah. think about what the snow is. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy, heavy, I heavy. I just want to chill. I, did, I just want to chill. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Professor, can I so say something? I w- I, I'm, I, you know, I'm giving both sides of the coin, but you're you, radical. Nah, nah, get up and do it. Move. You want the blessings and the burden. They come hand in hand. And I, I have to tell you this. Thank you for your honesty. You have a, a courage that most of us don't have, and I appreciate you. Thank you so very much. So that was Professor Michael Eric Dyson. On the other side of the break, I'll wrap up what he said, but most importantly, does anybody have four ninety five I can borrow, or nine ninety five, or two hundred dollars? I'm trying to buy some of them ZO twos, those new Lonzo Ball shoes, those new big baller brands. Uh, my take on the shoes and the price after the break. So that was the great professor Michael Eric Dyson. My man can talk, um, but he has a lot of good points. Again, I, I go back and forth with: Is it their responsibility? It being social inequity, uh, the wrongs of our community and the black community and whatever minority community you represent. Is it our responsibility to speak up if we have a platform? He says you cannot enjoy the blessings without taking on the burden. Instinctively, as a woman, I want to do well. Uh, I want to to help other women. I want to help other brown girls, as I would say. Instinctively, that's just me because I know the struggles that I went through. But everybody doesn't have that that purpose or that calling. And and quite frankly, I think it's okay. The professor disagrees. Last but not least, I want to talk about something you have all been tweeting me about and responding to. Because I put the question out there the other day. Lonzo Ball and LeVar Ball unveiled the big baller brand tennis shoe. And uh, it's the Zotus 495, just a cool 495. That's $495. And then for the autograph copy uh, or pair 995 with tax a G and some change. Now, listen, 
I love my shoes. Uh, spending a G on some shoes is something. Spending $500 on some shoes is something. A half a bill? Get out of here. Um, I don't like the price point, but, oh, gosh, here I go. Hedging my bets. I do like what LeVar is trying to do. I think that he is an entrepreneur in a way that we have never seen before. He's unapologetically loud and proud of his family. And he is saying, I want to be a partner. I don't want a sponsorship deal. I don't want to work for you. I want us to work together. And ultimately, perhaps you then work for me. We made news and talked about it often that he did not get a deal with Adidas, Under Armour or Nike, which I all think we knew was coming when he was saying that he wanted to be in business with them, not work for them. And I love it. I think about stories that I've been told about Richard Williams. I was told that Richard Williams walked into a Nike meeting one time with a brown mannequin leg, slapped it on the table and had a tennis shoe on the other end of it and said, this is what Serena should do. Serena will be your biggest deal. These are all these are all folklores. These are all stories that have been told to me. I don't know how true it is, but Serena walked out of there with a $90 million deal. Sponsorship, but a deal. LeVar Ball is taking it to the next level. And while I applaud the process and the and the audacity and the boldness behind it, sometimes I think the packaging messes up the message. You feel me? I get what you're trying to do. But sometimes how you package it and sell it and say it, you dilute the message. The shoe and the shoe's success is contingent directly upon how, how well Lonzo Ball does at the next level. He's only played a season of college ball. That does not warrant a $500 shoe or an autographed shoe. No, no, $500. Then it also makes me mad because it's like, come on, we want to support you. Who can really go out and afford that shoe? And then he tweets up only big ballers can. No, that's not accurate. I can. Will I buy it? No, because it's not really a fair representation of what's to come. Now, what if somebody went and bought these shoes and your son's a flop? How are we going to walk around wearing the ZO2s, the ZO2s, and you ain't even playing in the league no more? I don't wish that on him. You know that because he's a UCLA grad. My point is, is that I applaud the vision. I'm just having a problem with the delivery. I've seen a lot of athletes, though, tweet that they're buying it. Chad Ochocinco copped him a pair. A friend of mine bought a pair as well. People are legitimately supporting the idea because they know it sounds so outrageous. They're like, we're still going to support you because we understand what you're trying to do. We can sift through all that delivery and understand the message. I don't know. I said this on air. I, I struggle with this because I support the family. I really do like Lonzo. Great kid. I just hope that this isn't a cautionary tale of what not to do. I hope that there is success There is success in terms of marketing already because we're talking about it. A year ago, nobody even knew Lonzo Ball's name. Nobody even knew who LeVar Ball was. Nobody even knew anything about Big Baller brand unless you lived within the Inland Empire where they reside and they have uh, held it down in that region. But a year ago, we'd have been like, who, a what, Uh uh-huh. Now it's a conversation. It's on SportsCenter. It's on all the, it's been written about Sports Illustrated. Everyone's talking about it. So in terms of marketing, that man is a genius. I hope he can translate to dollars, but most importantly, I hope it doesn't interfere with his son's success on the court when he decides to be an NBA player or when he plays in the NBA. All right, that's my take on the big ball of brand shoes. I get it. Don't like the price point, 
but I'm supporting the idea. Now, as you heard, Professor Michael Eric Dyson on the show earlier, he's a professor of sociology at Georgetown University. He has a book out that you should all go cop. You should all go grab. You should go buy it, as the kids would say. Cop is what the kids say. Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America. It's in stores now. You can order it online. Um, It's an education. He says a lot of things. You may not agree with everything he has to say, but he has a lot to say. <laughs> Listen to it. Try to understand his perspective. Meantime, in between time, I'm going to go see if um, I can just pull some money together, maybe get a dollar from everybody in the office and buy some of those Zoe 2 slides. They bought $200, right, Adam? 200 Yeah, 200 Thank you for listening to this edition of Be Honest. Thanks for listening to Be Honest with Carrie Champion. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash podcenter.